Hi, I'm Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. One of our guiding principles as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. If you want to be great, you must become a servant. Are you familiar with this quote? Does it feel like a paradox? I mean, when we think of people who reflect greatness, many of us wouldn't think of servants. What if I told you this is ancient wisdom and it was given to us by Jesus, a first century carpenter from Nazareth? How does it sit with you? Yeah, I know it's counterintuitive and it may not sound very attractive to most. After all, what's the point of being great if we can't have people serve us, right? Well, I guess that all depends on how you define greatness. In today's episode, I have the privilege of sitting down with the brilliant and prolific Bing Chen, an impact entrepreneur, creator, and equalization builder. His story is fascinating, and I'm really excited to share his perspective on greatness. My friend, thank you. Thank you for jumping on. I think it's interesting to talk about this, uh, this notion of greatness because it's usually a topic that I think most people either shy away from or lean into usually for self-centered reasons, I think for the most part. And then rarely do we approach the topic from a humble place, wanting to figure out how do we unleash the greatness in us, not so that we can you know, get all the glory, but so we can actually make the world a better place. And mm. you know, when Matthew was telling me about you, I was like, oh man, it seems like he has that kind of heart or that posture. You know, nope. it's like you want to, you know, you're like, I ain't got it <laughs> wrong. <laughs> okay. uh, no, I know. I know. I love it. And, and so that's part of what we want to dive into today. So one, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit, right? So you've, you've worked with YouTube in the past, and I think a couple people may know YouTube and what they're all about. So tell us like what you did for YouTube. How'd you step into the role that you had for YouTube? Um, yeah, it's easy. So my dream since I was a boy is to be the existential Walt Disney. So how do you build systems and stories that make dreams come true faster, deeper, and forever? And at the time in 2010, there was basically a calculus of you want to build the next Walt Disney. Do you do it in Disney or do you do it outside of Disney? And at the time, I felt like YouTube was the platform that represented the 21st century articulation of a dream maker. Uh, it was this big open platform that in theory was starting to democratize distribution. And so just missing the other half of how do we democratize creation. And so uh, I became the first creator marketing manager there. I uh, was the first person to really sort of push forward the new evolution of the partner program, which birthed the creator economy as we know it. Uh, we standardized influencer marketing. Uh, we, we globalized the partner program monetization. We built new audience paths, everything from like investing in the biggest video conferences of the world known as VidCon to creating the gold play button, which is my child to, you know, new ways of building audiences in new countries. And then to round out the trinity of monetization and fame slash audience building, uh, we also redefined, we think, what creativity was. I remember there, were, I think it was 2012 was the first year when we realized that 
web-born artists, specifically on YouTube, were actually uh, yielding higher engagement than traditional media stars. And that was entirely because of the sort of authenticity and lack of fourth wall. So yeah, so like in summary, it's like we basically birthed the creator economy as the world now knows it at the highest level of YouTube. Highest level because of the number of creators, because of the amount of dollars that were put to it in the ecosystem and the way that we really reinterpreted, I think, creativity. But it all comes from a fervor for, you know, how do you make someone's dreams come true and sustain them at a commercial level? Uh, in that case, it was through creativity. And how long were, were you with YouTube? Five years. Five with years. An eternity in internet laws, you know. <laughs> well, what, what do you, yeah, of course. And for you, like, what was the biggest takeaway or shift or learning from being a part of that type of company? Yeah, by far was that we are more similar than we are different. And I know that sounds like a platitude from some like BS politician, because I, I too roll my eyes when I hear things like that, especially from people who feign experience, but uh, or feign global experience. But right. I, the, the moment that it, that was punctuated for me was in 2011, we had to globalize the partner program. And I project managed this as, as a 24 year old. And we basically had to take it from nine to 42 countries, 42, 43 or so. And, and what globalization means is not only building systems and service that are amenable to different regions, but also adapting policies. Like who knew that Italy was actually very difficult to like monetize in, right? For instance, they were actually the hardest. It also meant scaling programs to not only develop creators, but promote them as well on top of monetization. It also meant adapting branding because of course, what exists in the United States in our English Western European parlance does not exist in everywhere in the world, so forth and so on. And I remember we did all these studies of like, what do people globally want, whether you're a musician in Bangalore, whether you're a media company in Berlin, whether you're, you're Bing in San Bruno, like what do you want? at all levels and all categories around the world. And, and we realized that everyone wants the same six things in descending order. Again, whether you're a media company, a new media company, or you're an individual in your mother's basement, and they are in descending order, fame, fortune, creativity, skills, meaning are you good at playing the guitar or like skateboarding and all that, connection with other creators, broadly defined, and then finally recognition on the platform or, or bastion where you live, whether that's Kevin Feige's approval in the MCU or it's YouTube's approval on YouTube. and and we realized, again, these were universally consistent. And, and I think that was the moment I realized, like, A, you can actually scale systems through templates like this, but then also B, people, companies, and so forth, invariably want the same thing. We just might talk about them differently. And that was also the same year when I like threw myself into certain literature of what does humanity want at large? And, and it is the same two or three things. It is meaningful impact, strong familial relationships, broadly defined. Doesn't mean you have to have a spouse and kids. It could mean just best friends. And then finally is health because you, you want to live as long as possible in theory. And so I was like, okay, wow, we truly do want the same things. And then you, you know, triangulate it back to art and an anecdotal level. And you realize, oh, if a musician and a comedian both hold events, musician calls it a concert, a comedian calls it a stand-up show, but they both still require tickets, concessions, stages, lights, audiences. They're still the same thing. They're just an event, but they talk about it differently. And so that was the most emboldening lesson for me that we saw at you know millions and millions of people. We all just want, and actually billions now, we all just want the same thing. We just talk about them differently. And because we only know things through our own eyes, through our own lived experiences, we think that they are somehow different and those create artificial wedges. But really, it's just a translation game between us. Well, I, I want to hear, with that being said, what's your definition of greatness as we as we dig in and dive into what this idea of greatness is how would you define it i don't i don't know but like I, I mean, <laughs> let's start with that <laughs> yeah i mean like no, everyone's got a definition right this is like a subjective yeah. thing but um no i think about it i think about it in like three or four ways so like great means like can you deliver excellence to as many people as possible for as long as possible while being a great person 
like a good person, right? Like great. Say that, say that again for us. Uh, delivering excellence to as many people as possible for as long as possible while being good. That's, mm. that's greatness. It's really sad that it's actually hard to find people and things that do all the above. Yeah. Because like you look at them and it's like most people actually can't execute at an excellent level, period. A lot of people just suck. The end. And it's not intrinsic <laughs> to them. It's because of the environments, because they haven't been given trainings, because they don't have consistent opportunities. It's all the things, right? Right. But most people can't do that. Second is like for as many people as possible. Many of us will never venture out of our zip code. Many of us will never venture out of this country. And that's not our fault. That's a socioeconomic issue, right? But luckily with the internet, you can in theory go beyond. But even if you can sort of virtually go beyond, it doesn't mean you culturally go beyond. It's sort of the difference between translation and localization. So you got issues there. Forever. I don't know what forever is. You won't know for what forever is either. It doesn't matter if we can like upload our consciousness into like whatever robot in 15 years. Like we just won't see forever. And that's just a fact is mortality of humans, right? And then finally, like, are we good? Like, what is good? Like in my yeah. mind, good is really ultimately two things. It's are you not existentially wounding someone that prevents them from progressing in their own life? At an most extreme level, are you not killing people or not harassing people and so forth? And then the second piece, which I think is much grayer and, and we are all, myself included, imperfect on is like, are you just a kind person? Are you trying to be as kind as possible to people and, and not get in their way in a way that demeans them? And this is hard because like many of us, even without intention of hurting others, will hurt others, whether it's through omission, like you're not lying my birthday party or, or otherwise. And, and it sucks because like we all think we're the center of everyone's universe, which we're obviously not. But like, we, we think that everyone is constantly thinking about us in the way that we want and, and, and they're just not. And so because right. of that, like, none of us are really good in everyone's eyes. I know who my enemies are, for instance. Some of them are deliberate, by the way, because they suck. It's human beings. But, but many of them, it's just unintentional. It's just like, I'm busy, you know? And it's like, if you're not a good person in my eyes and, and deliver, like, I just don't have time, you know? Like, we don't, we, we don't, none of us have time, you know? I'm a part of an executive coaching firm, Novus Global. We do ontological coaching. Now, now, don't tune me out. All that means is we're really interested in your way of being. Have you ever heard the quote, we're human beings, not human doings? Or there's some coaching juice in that quote. Essentially, we live in a world of doers. People who do and do and do and they get shit done. Yes, I said do-do and get shit done. And then they can be validated, or they can be happy. Their way of being comes after the doing, right? Their way of being comes after the accomplishments. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. There isn't anything wrong with doing. I'm a big fan of getting things done, and that requires some doing. What I'm about to propose is a little tweak. At my firm, we suggest another way, a path called be, do, have. It involves our clients choosing their way of being first. Now imagine that. Being happy isn't a destination. It's a choice. Being fulfilled isn't a destination. It's a choice. Being validated isn't a destination. Yeah, you guessed it. It's a choice. Once you choose your way of being, the doing flows from that. And that determines what you have. That's what shapes your results. Be, do, have. You see, most people think they're going to do something and that's going to make them great. Because for most people, great is a destination. But what if it isn't? 
What if it's a way of being? What if it's a way of showing up? What if we stop trying to achieve greatness and started choosing greatness every single day? Imagine what it would look like to be great, not because someone gave you a medal or a diploma or a title, but because you chose to be great. Now let's ask ourselves, what do great people do? Because remember, it's be, do, have. Well, if we're going to take a page out of Jesus' handbook, we'd serve, right? That's what great people do. They serve. And what are the many ways you can serve today? You see, there's an endless list of things to do if you're committed to serving. If that's the path we all chose, what will we have as a result? Because remember, it's be, do, have. If we're busy being great, by doing all kinds of service-oriented things, what would our lives look like? What would our family look like? What would our community look like? What would our nation look like? What would our world look like? What would our future look like? I love the level of thoughtfulness that you possess. I, I can tell that you've spent some time thinking about th these things. Like you're not at a superficial level when it comes to a lot of this, you know, when you talk about wanting to be the next Walt Disney. Well, you know, I think, and I think this is connected to greatness. There are plenty of people who can be tagged as great from the, from the outside perspective and never do some of this level of thinking that you do, you know, to, to actually consider what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to create a greater world? What does it mean to invite people into their own levels of greatness? You know, and they do what it takes to sort of just be accepted by the masses instead of actually lead. And it sounds like you've actually done some work to like do some inner work so that you can actually lead people in a direction. So, so the question for me, would you consider yourself and, and, and greatness is, you know, you never arrive, right? Yeah, so at this stage, like, how do you relate to that idea of your own greatness? Would you consider yourself great at this point in your life? Oh, no. I, I mean, I don't think I ever will. I, I think I, I just don't think that way. You know, like I, I think for myself, like I, yeah, I just don't think of myself as like great, whatever. It's like, am I a good person? Am I, and am I doing as a verb great things as opposed to a noun being someone great? Like to your point, like we're never done. So all the more why like all these superlatively positive nouns, like we should almost get those out of our lexicon. Like mm -hmm. being great is an act. It is not a, a state as it were, right? And so I think that's more how I think. I think the other thing is like, I'm just really insatiable. Like I, I, I realized early on in college that I will never be content uh, in most things, especially work. I'll like never be content in anything at work. And that's just who I am. And it's, it's good because that helps you continue to be, you know, progress and strive and try to perfect things and all that. It's bad because it's like, is being a malcontent person healthy? Like, probably not. Uh, and then even when I die, like, I constantly think of like, okay, what is the thought of my deathbed? Well, like, I'll look back at my life like everyone does. I'll flash through the big memories. Will I feel content? And every time I think, no, I won't. But then I'll like lose my last breath and mid thoughts, it'll be fine. And so, like, yeah. like, I don't know. So yeah, so that's the honest answer. Like, I, yeah, and I'm also like very skeptical of anyone who like, will self-identify with adjectives that are that are stagnant like greatness you know it's like 
if you, my mother used to say, not to, not to blend this too much, but uh, when I was in seventh grade, I was like really insecure because we had just moved from Shanghai to Orange County. My dad was dying of cancer. Like it was a new environment because Orange County is full of like little superficial, like superficial shitheads who spend their parents' money and claim it as their own. This is like all a bad situation. And yeah. so, yeah, like I was like super insecure about it. And like, I wasn't in, like, I was in the popular group, but not in the popular group, all the things. And so plus hormones. And, and my mother, I remember, I was like lamenting that like someone was really popular and I didn't understand why, because like justice and fairness is one of like my core four values. And since even since then, and she goes, there are two types of people in the world, because there always are. She goes, there are, there are those who exist because they announce themselves. And there are those who exist because others announce them. And you mm-hmm. always want to be the latter. And so this ties back to the greatness piece, because if I have to tell you that I am great, that I announce myself, the second I stop is the second I disappear, which is bad. That means my work and my behavior and my impact, the emotional evocation I have in people is meaningless. But yeah. if I exist when I'm not there, because I exist in your mouth, in your mind, in your heart, because of the things I've done to you, for you, et cetera, hopefully for the better, then I live forever. And is that not the goal, you know? And so anyway, yeah, I don't trust people who say they're great at all. <laughs> well, so you, you, you are leaving it up to others to say, hey, you can, you can pin me as great, but I'm basically not going to call myself great. Yeah, and you can pin me as a shithead too. And also, by the way, I don't care about that either. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I know my shit is hot and I know that we are doing, we are good people. And, and the people who matter to us know as well because they continue to partner with us and all that. And like, you just can't please everybody. You know, that's the other thing. I think there's something to be said though for your inner belief that you don't have to proclaim, right? So you could be like, you know what? Yeah, one, I'm committed to being great, especially based on the definition that you have. And this is not something that I have to take a bullhorn around and be like, I'm the greatest person in the world. But it's like, you know what? What What does it mean to be great? I'm going to possess that. I'm going to believe that about myself because I think that's going to affect how you show up. It's going to affect how you lead. It's going to affect the results that you create. So it's almost this uh, tension between like, yeah, I'll believe it, and I don't have to be my primary evangelist. It's just that voice is for me and only for me. Do you feel like you possess that? No, I, I would almost like, I'm going to be so annoying. And yeah, no, let's do it. Let's do it. God, I hate people who do, who do what I'm about <laughs> to do. No, I think I, I, it's, I, don't, I don't believe it. I just do it. Like, I, I, think, I, think, I, think it's, I don't think I am things. I just do things. Because I think you are what you do. You know, so I, I think, I think that's, that's, that's more what I strive to do. I think the other thing is like, I just don't care what people think, you know, yeah. and it, it's not cause I'm hubristic. It's not cause I think I'm better. It's none of that. It's cause number one, I'm not a prostitute. It's not my job to please people. The end. Right. You know? right. Number two is most people are not for you and most people do not matter to you because right, they right. cannot give things to you because your gifts are not for them so forth and so on. And this just makes sense. You are one of 8 billion people. Like you cannot expect to serve everyone and to please everyone equally. It's impossible. And then I think the third thing is the practical thing of creating new things. So I thrive on creation. Like I am so bored by things that exist in convention and it's just the way I am, whether it's growing up as a multi-minority or whatever it is. And so like by definition, if you create something, you should piss off at least 50% of people. Because humans usually gravitate towards polarities. Exhibit A, see our Republican, Democratic, you know, bifurcated political system. Exhibit B, see day, night. Exhibit C, see Coke, Pepsi, et cetera, right? People gravitate to the polls. And so mm-hmm. if you create anything new, again, you'll piss off at least 50% of people, if not more people. And usually it's more for things that are truly novel. And so my whole thing is, like, especially in art, like, if you're not pissing a good number of people off, 
for good reason, not because like you incited them for, you know, existentially demeaning reasons. If you piss them off for good creative reasons, that's good. That means you've done something new. If you're not, I don't know, I kind of don't trust you. It's sort of like the, the person who's nice to everyone. Like, no, no, no. I know like maybe five of those on one hand that like I actually trust. The rest of them, it's like, you can't be trusted by everyone. You can't be nice to everyone. Like that's not human. It's not real. Mm-hmm. And if you are, then you're probably not doing anything novel. And if you're not doing anything novel, then what are you doing to move the world forward? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because to call yourself great would piss off a lot of people. I think it's a polarizing idea. You know, to believe that you're great is a polarizing idea. So it's interesting that as we have this little corner of the conversation where we're talking about like, yo, so I don't, I don't like own this and I'm okay with pissing people off. um, Because I, what I would, as in terms of how I experience you, right? Is like, there is a level of greatness that you're stepping into and living in and you're living in the tension of like, I haven't arrived. Uh, It's not like I'm going to put the tag on myself. You know, I'm not proclaiming this, but I do experience the belief. So I think when you say, I just do it, I think, I think you need to have an identity that leads to action because, you know, you need to believe you're an athlete to get up at certain hours and and perform exercises and train like you mm-hmm. need to believe something about yourself in order to do the thing yeah and i think it's it's almost like it's become so second nature for you and i'm not imposing this i'm just saying here's what i'm experiencing right yeah. um, it, it might be it almost like i was gonna assign like cultural context to this but I, but I don't actually know the cultural context is accurate like i would i would still amend it and be like i actually don't think i'm like a great person who's Capable, even though I like, I, I kind of, I don't know. It's just more like right. I know I'm capable of doing great things, and so I, I right. think I go back to again, like succinctly. Like greatness is a verb to me; it's not a noun. It's an act. It's not a state, right? And I, and yes, I, and I yes. don't, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know honestly, like where it comes from. Like, I mean, nothing comes from one place anyway. But like, I, I know right. one place for sure, at least, is from my parents, who like come from abject poverty in an emerging market. Which, like, we think we know what poverty is in the United States. We have no idea. We have no idea right. what poverty is. hundred percent. No idea. And so like, like they come from, they come from Asia, right? And they, they come from Taiwan and China and they made it financially in the United States. Like they are the American dream if you calibrate American dream purely by have you found someone you love forever as for as long as possible and have you made it financially? They made it, right? They are the dream. And, and I think like that doesn't happen because you are something because they were in abject poverty, right? That happens because you can do something. And they did. And I think that's the thing. And I love that maybe we'll get into a little debate here because it's it's good stuff. Because I, I actually believe whether we are conscious of it or not, our doing comes from a being. And mm-hmm. that to me, that is you, whatever you are, mm-hmm. whether you know it or you don't know it, that will create your actions. And sometimes mm-hmm. we own it at such a high level and we're conscious of it at such a high level that we're like, we can call it out. And sometimes we're like, no, nah, I just, this is this is what I do. And we don't even have to give it a tag. It's interesting. Like, I wish I wish I was like better read than this, but like there's one school of thought of yours of like we like doing comes from being. There's another school of thought that says being comes from doing. And then there's a third school of Scott school of thought. Yeah. Uh, Scott's the Scott's the thought of school. Uh, I'm just hired. I was like, No, it's good. Hey, welcome to the party. But then there's a third one of like, is it the circle of life where they both inform each other? Like, and this could be a circuitous, like overly annoyingly philosophical conversation, but like there I don't actually know 
I suspect it is more like your environment and the things you are capable of doing, aka how you are nurtured, is actually who you become. Unless you have some like extreme, you know, genetic challenges or whatever have you. Like I do believe that nurture trumps nature in this regard, which means that behavior does trump states. Uh, it does does become who you are. It does become being. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think there is our downloaded, and yeah, this can become philosophical, um, and then we can pivot. We can pivot. No, it's good. Because I do think, to a certain extent, we are we give we we get a downloaded program from our upbringing. You know, socially, culturally, there's a downloaded program, and then I think there comes a point where we get to decide: is that who I want to be? Yeah. And and that's what I think is the most powerful thing about being human: is we don't have to abide by whatever we were brought up in. Yeah. You know, in terms of our family, in terms of our culture, our society, you name it we get to choose at some point where we finally realize, oh, there's a high level of consciousness that I possess and I get to determine, is, is this who I'm going to be? And that will in turn choose our actions. So I think, yeah, we can definitely dance around this to where does it begin? What, you know, uh, chicken or the egg type conversation. But I think it, it is all connected to what does it look like for us, one, to own our greatness while being humble, to choose a level of greatness yeah. with humility. And I think part of it is what you're saying, which is like, you don't, you don't put the tag on yourself. You don't scream it from the rooftops, but what does it look like to believe it and they'll create it? Because I'm interested in like, what if we lived in a world where each and every one of us possessed and owned the greatness within us? Mm -hmm. You know, what would it take? Well, one, would you even be interested in that type of world? Oh, I mean, like sans the misogyny, I'm a deep confusion. So like, I mm -hmm. think we are here to absolutely figure out why we are here. And I feel like greatness, like in, in, in my head, like if I had to assign a sterile state to greatness, it is not necessarily being excellent. It's like, it's being fully who you are because that is excellent. And right. unfortunately, most of us, A, never find out what that is. And then B, never have the opportunity and or resources and or wherewithal to get there, right? And then finally, mm -hmm. like, assuming you get there, it's like, do we last forever? So I, I think like right. that's, that's, that's like where we all want to go. Which I, I think they like succinctly are like articulate enumerate is just like the meaning of life. I think I think that's where for sure we want to go. And like, is that interesting? It, it is the most interesting thing to me. You know, it's like yeah. what I've devoted my life to, and like, and also what I know we will fall short of because we can't fit, figure out this for everyone. Nor is yeah. there a place to figure this out for everyone. You know. And so well, I mean, even would you say you're the type of person who pulls out greatness from the people around you, whether that be your family, your friends, like oh, your yeah. close circle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is, I, what I am my best like? when I help people. Yeah. What does that look like for? Just say for your inner circle first. What does that look like? Oh, so easy. It's like I know what everyone who is in my close orbit, everyone I work with, I know what everyone's dream is. 100%. It's like when we hire someone, like the it's not even when we hire. When we're interviewing people for my companies, the first question we ask is, "What's the dream?" And then people mm -hmm. like the, the reaction we usually get is like a laugh. And then they say, what do you mean? Because of course, <laughs> they're never asked this since they're like five. And I say, well, okay, if we gave you $10 billion, the Rolodex to everyone in the world, and if you called them, the answer is yes. You call CEO of Hasbro, I guess rest in peace now, like, you know, yeah. they will say yes. You know, you call Disney, you want to make a film, they say yes. Like everyone will say yes. What would you do? Mm -hmm. and, and you had no fear. What would you do? And then, and then people finally unveil what they really want. And 99 times out of 100, they're not doing their dream. There's no question. They're not doing their dream precisely. And then I would say the majority, maybe like 60, 70% are not doing it at all, you know, which is right. sad. And, and, and there's the practical reality of, you know, many of us have taxes, mortgages, kids, like families, to, like we've got stuff to pay for. 
and and that's real, right? We are we are in certain environments that have stymied our growth. That is real. But also, like you have one life to live, and so how are we not only striving, but more importantly, how are we being stewards for each other in our communities to uplift and enable those opportunities faster? So yeah, so that's what it, that's at a practical level what it looks like, and and. I can give you a gazillion examples, but like we go out of our way to make sure as much as possible, obviously not always, but as much as possible that, that we deliver on like getting them closer to their dream faster. The flip side of this is if they say a dream and we instinctively feel like we cannot serve that as a friend, mm-hmm. as a colleague, et cetera, we won't, we'll stop the interview right there. We won't even hire them, uh, even if they're amazing. And it's, it's purely because, and this happens very rarely, but it's purely because like top talent, which is all we are open to, right? It's all any of us are open to deserves to have the best. And if we, and it's a mutual fit. So if we are not that fit, we don't deserve them reciprocally. If they're not a fit for us, they don't deserve us. The end. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's how, that's how that manifests. Yeah. If your life was a movie, would you want to watch it? If you were a character in a novel, would you root for you to win? If your story was on Netflix, I mean, would you binge it? Each and every one of us can choose a big, bold, and beautiful story. Each and every one of us can live a heroic life. Each and every one of us can choose greatness. Because greatness isn't about external validation. It isn't about being rich and famous. It isn't about thinking we're better than others. It's about service, love, and character. If you're listening to this right now, you don't have to wait to be great. You can choose greatness right here, right now. There's something that's emerging in my mind, which is to be a part of a great culture is one where we're all unleashing one another's dreams. One, we're, we're connected to one another's dreams and we're all committed to what does it look like to push your dream forward as opposed to maybe the antithesis of a great culture is where one person gets to actualize their dream and everybody serves their dream only. Yeah. So that's just coming to my mind right now as we're talking about this. How does that sit with you? That's so beautiful. I love the succinctness of uh, we are connected and committed to each other's dreams. I think that's exactly right. It's difficult, obviously, because like we're all busy yeah. and all that. And like, no one knows how to ask. No one knows how to answer. So like, we got to get over that. But I don't know, once we get over that first step, which I think is actually easier than we think, the next step is like, okay, well, can we serve? And then the third is like the longevity or sustainability of it, the commitment. And then that, that in addition to like figuring out the connectedness, I think is the hardest question for all the reasons we know, like life happens, you know, we get busy, we get married, all the things. But no, I, I love that. I think it's really beautiful. I mean, honestly, if we did that, like if, if all of us ensured that everyone's dreams were unleashed faster, everything would operate, maybe not easier, but it's certainly fuller. And I think fullness right. is a good thing. Cause there's just like, I mean, you, you know, the whole trope, like, Viola Davis said this in an award speech one time, but she didn't pen it. It was a poet who, or actually there's a lot of people who said this, but I remember there's a poet from like the medieval ages at least who was like, the graveyard is the greatest bastion of dead dreams or like mm-hmm. lost potential. And it's true. Like most people never see what they really wanted. And it's not on that, right. you know, it's like, it's, it's cause the environment has failed them and failed us. Yeah. And that's part of, you know, the, the, the show that we have here from the future with love is this idea that, you know, what would it look like to, to travel in time where this future that we're talking about potentially does exist somewhere where there's a culture, there's a society where everybody's doing what we just said. 
You know, that greatness exists in this capacity. If you were the time traveler coming from the future to say, mm -hmm. hey, I've, I've experienced a future where we live in this type of greatness. We're all committed. We're all connected to unleashing each other's dreams. Mm -hmm. All we need to do is bam. What would it be? I'd say it's three things. Yeah, I love it. Yes, the three. <laughs> no, it's just like we got to think this way. Otherwise, like, I like it. Meanders, yeah, I like it. You know, it's like, I don't know. We didn't sign up to like swim in jello. So, no, I think the first thing is like, you really have to know and question yourself first. And these are, of course, dichotomous because, like, to know oneself is a sterile state, to question is a progressive one. And so we constantly have to be like, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I moving in, the, in good ways? Am I moving in bad ways? So I think that's one. Uh, I think the second thing is like, we have to be kind, be great, be abundant, meaning giving again to as many people as possible, and then be forever, give it as long as possible. And, and just because you give doesn't mean you can't get. Like I, I bemoan people who think that charity and profit are mutually exclusive. They are cohesively necessary. You must do great and good at once. And you can, by the way, you know, like I've proven in everything we've ever built, you know, does one sometimes lead the dance over others or tilt the scale? Of course, like none of us are even all the time. Um, but at least if we try to be even, I think that's what matters. And then, yeah, I think the third thing is like being very, like being humble and conscientious enough to burn and rebuild again. Everything we create is going to go, needs to go, needs to be reimagined. Like, they, like there's so many, everyone has a quote on this. Like Mark Twain, my mother, like the first half of your life is about building, building, building. The second half is about giving it away. Like, all, like that, that needs to be constant. Yeah. So I think, I, think it's, I think it's just those three things. I love that. I don't know. I probably have a funnier, more creative answer about how we're on Mars. No, like, it's good. We're all Elon no. Musk's like, like weird relatives in a handmaid's tale now, but like, I don't know. That's, <laughs> That's uh, a really uh, solid, shitty first draft that you cooked up. So I, no, I appreciate no. that. And so I, I, I saw a video that you cooked up and you used this proverb, we plant gardens, we, we rarely see bloom. Oh, yeah. how, has that, how has that proverb shaped your leadership? I think in two ways. One is if it doesn't last at least five years, it doesn't matter and we won't do it. Uh, mm -hmm. And the only time we would is if it contributed to something directly that will last over five years. Uh, and I like why five, honestly, is arbitrary, but like we try to see as far as possible. So I think that gives us a lot of operational clarity because it focuses on what's really important, sustainable. I think second is it also eases a lot of tension. You know, there's a lot of bullshit that humans, unfortunately, you know, dazzle in. And the reality is most of our bullshit is not gonna last five years, you know? There's very few things that matter in five years. So I think, I think that's one. I think the second thing is like, I just had this obsession with like immortality. And, and I don't mean it from like a weird Peter Thiel way. I, I mean, no offense to Peter Thiel. I, I just mean of like, if we're not building something that lives forever, then maybe it doesn't deserve to be here now. Like, like longevity is the greatest test of quality, you know? And I, and I care a lot about quality. And so I think it's just like at a, at a spiritual level, sates that obsession like can we build things that will outlast us because that's the only way to live forever by the way is to leave something that mm -hmm. does yeah i think about even you know as i was wrestling with the proverb to me there's something beautiful i mean there's it's really beautiful period oh thanks i'll yeah, do ten dollars every time you say it yeah boom okay great 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 um i'm rich well there's part of it is there's there's an actual function to a garden so it's like you're creating something that has a functionality, but also you're creating something that is just beautiful. And, and there's a, there is an art to it. There is a story to it. So what would it look like to create things that serve uh, a function in the future, but that also are, are beautiful in the future, as well as, you know, this idea that we've talking about, which is unleashing dreams, you know, yeah. leaving, leaving something that I think you interact with this garden 
and you experience the function, you experience the beauty of it, and it helps you dream. Yeah, I love that. That's beautifully said. Yeah, to, to elongate the beautiful or beauty motif. No, I think that's exactly right. It's like when things are full, they are beautiful. Like that's what it is. It's not like, are they skinny? Are they fat? Like it's none of that. Like if they are full, they're there. I mean, I think the other thing too, the, the third element of this would be like, uh, I remember I was, I think I was 22. Uh, and one of my like college professors, uh, Walls, had this like poster that said, be who you needed when you were younger. And I remember mm-hmm. as like a minority, I was like, oh shit. You know, it's like some of our jobs, and again, not in a hubristic way, though I guess somewhat of a hubristic ethnocentric way, like it is our job to like just be the person, build the things that we needed when we were younger. And, and when we do, by definition, we will not benefit from them. Most of us, I think, who build things that are for our younger selves don't even benefit from like the gratitude. Like I don't even honestly feel gratitude like from others. You know, if someone's like, I'm so grateful to you being like, I don't, I, I don't know what that feels like, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so you really do these things. I don't want to make us look like mensches, but like you really do these things, not expecting reciprocity and, mm-hmm. and really realizing like in its impact and even in its like indirect gratitude, like none of these things that you build are for you. And it right. sucks because then it's like, well, why the hell am I here? Like, am I going to get spoils? Like, am I going to get my flowers? You know, uh, right. and, and the answer for often when you create things is no, you know, right. and it's like, are we okay with that? And then where else can we find flowers in life? You know, and I think this is where like the world is not on a single linear calibrated plane. Like, just because like, I don't get flowers from my creations, like doesn't mean like, I don't know, like the inverse of that is where I will find flowers. It's just like, it's just different. Like, I, I personally get my flowers from like just the fact that I'm obnoxious and like love everything. And like, mm-hmm. I, I truly like find miracles in all the things that I live in. And, and I just like, I get it from that. Like, I love interactive museums. I love like, I don't know, like new ice cream flavors. Like I love like meeting new people. Like that's where I get my flowers, you know? And it's on a totally separate plane because it's not the same thing as creating like new companies and all that. And that's okay, you know? Right. But that's just me. I don't know where other people get it from. Uh, who started, 100%. Yeah. I think we're touching on uh, potentially a, a universal aspect of greatness that is rooted in if you are choosing to be great, whether it be consciously or not consciously, you need to make the world a better place for others, not for you, not just for yourself. And this is this idea that you know you're going to plant a garden, and you may not see it bloom. You're gonna you're gonna plant a tree, and you won't experience the shade. Right? There's something that you're putting out into the world that is not just for you, but it's your connection to the other that's driving you. And I think at the core of that is, that's greatness. Yeah. You know, you talked about connecting it to dreams and wanting to unleash people's dreams. Like, it's understanding that life isn't about you. And yeah. ultimately, that's the future that I want to be a part of creating. And I think it seems like, you know, through our conversation, obviously, this is the first time you and I have had a conversation where, where I, I can sense that, that heart in you too, is understanding that, existence is not about you. Life is not about you. How can I take all the passions and the heart and desire that I have, push it out into the world so that I spark other people and unleash their own magic? Yeah. You know, That to me is at the core of greatness. And that's the type of world that I want to see where all of us have that mission. All of us have that drive. And I'm kind of idealist in that sense is you know, we can talk about the fact that we live in a world where he's like, I wish these knuckleheads would get it. You know, Certain yeah. people that are kind of caught in their own loop but I would rather spend time saying, hey, there's a beautiful vision of the future that I want to create. And I'm willing to say we can all get there. And that's the way that I'm going to talk. You know, I'm going yeah. to plant the garden and say, we're going to experience it. I'm going to plant the tree as opposed to just being, nope, I'm going to do my own thing for my own tribe. 
and keep it to myself. It's tough though, right? Like this is where like balance is like, I don't even know the right adjective. Like this is where balance exists, whether it's important or not. It's like, yes, you and I are over here, but there has to be grace for people who don't want to or can't because they have to pay the bills, right? Like, or don't mm-hmm. have, like, so th- there, there, there's a balance. Like I, I said another way, I never expect everyone to operate the way we do. Whatever. Right. Like it's not, I'm not God by a long shot. That's not my job. You know, like I right. can only control what's here. And if, if someone else is aligned with that, we're probably friends, we're probably colleagues, right? If not, that's okay. Like I, though earth does not belong to me, you know? And, and that's, this unfortunately is all we can control. The decision you're going to make after this episode will shape our future. This transmission is from the year 2061. A world where your choice to be great gave birth to a planet of greatness. A world where every single human being chose to serve the good of the other and the whole. A world where streets are cleaner, neighborhoods are safer, and war no longer exists. It's a world where greatness is a value, and everyone chooses to serve and serve and serve. It's a world worth sacrificing for. It's a world we all need. Friends, invest in the world I'm contacting you from. We need you. This transmission is from the future with love. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Future with Love. We are thankful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that changed us forever. Thank you for being a part of our community and for sharing our content on social media. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of this episode. See you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Martinez Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact-checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Pisarde. Thanks again, my friends. Until next time. <laughs>